Hey everyone, welcome back to the first five years sponsored by SAXA. I'm one of your hosts, Agassi Rodriguez at Clemson University. Hi everybody, this is Erica Aguiar, one of your other hosts coming at you from the University of Florida. Agassi, friend, how you feeling? How's life? Life is great. We are on the eve, and I know you're equally as excited about this, Erica. We are on the eve of the advanced screening for In the Heights. I'm trying not to scream because I know the mic picks up a lot, but we are, me, excited. The day that it came out, I sent it immediately to my mom. Mind you, she was sitting next to me, and I said, do this right now. And she said, what? I said, just hand me your phone. And I signed her up for it. So I will be watching your the 6.30 screening. I'm the 9.30 screening. Do not speak to me. Do not, I do not want you to text me because I think you'll ruin it. Like I think you'll know, say something. You know, I'm almost partly surprised that you agreed to something at 9.30 p.m. Eastern. Oh, you, oh, you think I'm not taking the morning off the next day? Please, this is a national holiday. But but was this a did you was this sick leave or annual leave? Were you like mental health day or this is oh uh, it might need to be mental health day. I have not told my supervisor about this, so good, good. I, I I'm glad you've cleared it. <laughs> I just here's the thing that everyone should know about me. There are so many times when I have like a late night event, or even if I get like pre COVID, you know, a late night flight back from a work event, and I'm like, I'm gonna come in late, and then I am at work at eight fifteen. Because I woke up, I'm like, what else am I going to do? And that is such a fatal flaw. So we'll see actually what happens. But the 6.30, I had an event on Thursday. So everyone, just so you know what we're talking about, this episode will come out after this. But basically, um, you know, Lin-Manuel Miranda is hosting like this advanced screening. Um, it's first-gen centric. So it's going to be super cool. And we're really excited. And we signed up. And I, for one, can't wait. You too, I can see. I, for two, can't wait as well. But welcome back to the first five years, our little pod on the block for new professionals or anyone interested in the beginning stages of higher education. So that's a call out for all VPSAs out there in the world, all presidents, anybody in between, please hit us up and let us know. What if we got a college president to listen? That was Who says they're not listening now? You're right. You're right. Hey, y'all, college presidents, what's up? Hey. Hi. We hope to bring you some timely information based on what's going on in the calendar year and, you know, the even even flow, ebb and flow of higher ed and sort of give a public voice for graduate students, new professionals, and hey, those millions of college presidents listening. Millions, that's the wrong number. That's not right. For the millions of institutions in the United States. <laughs> so many, so many college presidents, so little time. Um, well, welcome, folks, again. So today we decided that for our conversation, we were going to bring our producer, Miles Soretz. So say hi, Miles. Hello, everyone. Great to see you. Um, see you. That's a Clemson joke and also a joke on not this not being a visual medium. Okay, looking forward to the conversation. So what is the conversation, you might ask? Ah, today the question is, to dock or not to dock? And that is the question. So today we're going to talk just amongst the three of us about our thoughts on what we're thinking for a future PhD, EDD, maybe another kind of acronym altogether, who knows. But we thought it'd be a cool idea to talk about um, our ideas around the PhD or the EDD process or where our heads are at. Some of us are a little bit more decided than others, slash some of us are currently in 
a program and not others. So we decided that we it would be a good idea to talk about where our heads are at, what we're thinking, where uh, we think we're going to end up, and what we think we're aligning ourselves to. Well, Agassi, I have another more important question that maybe was not posed by William Shakespeare, but was actually posed by a greater poet, and that is Erica Aguiar. Hi. Y'all, what's the best thing you ate this week? I'm ready. I'm eager. I want to discuss how people are cooking pancakes the wrong way. So um, last night, I made sheet pan chocolate chip pancakes. Uh, New York Times recipe. Um, very, very good. Very good. And here's the key. Delicious the first time, but you know how pancakes are trash when you cook them, when you reheat? Not these, my friend. Had them this morning for breakfast. So good. So good. Cannot recommend highly enough. Very easy. You got you to like move the pan in and out of the oven a few times. Got to be comfortable with that. But otherwise, you, you really just let the parchment paper do the work and uh, you're good to go. So um, chocolate chip pancakes on a sheet pan. It's the move. Stop cooking them on, a, stop cooking them on the stove top. This is a little MPP, a little meal prep pancake. I am here for it. Not Erica making up new acronyms. Not, <laughs> not on this show. I, I just, uh, anywho, anywho. So the best thing that I ate this week was actually last night. Uh, Carter and I were both very late tired after a long day, and we had a lot of evening things that we needed to take care of. So we decided to order out, um, and I had some chicken teriyaki with some garlic sesame noodles. And we've normally ordered from this place, but I don't know if they they were just like, you know what, we're just gonna do an extra special job, but those noodles were phenomenal. So good, so, so, so good. Um, best thing I ate this week. I feel like my answer is gonna be pretty, I don't know. I don't, I, I think, no, no, no. Agassi's putting up his pinky as if it's gonna be bougie. No, I made a trip this weekend to Bucky's, which is a very famous Texas gas station. And I have such a lovely connection to this place. I went my first time, I traveled to Texas for work a couple of years ago, and I had to drive with a coworker from Dallas to Houston. And I see one, I said, hey, let's stop. And he was like, I've never heard of this. And I said, let's go. And so this time I got, okay, I'm going to tell you kind of a rundown. One, I got Bucky athletic shorts. Cause like, who doesn't need some, like, you know how they call Nike shorts, Nords? I'm going to call these sports. Shorts. They actually didn't fit. So my mom now owns them, but I got this breakfast croissant with like scrambled eggs and bacon. And I don't know how a gas station does it so well, but they did it so well. It was just amazing. And I got a fudge sampler. I'm actually eating right now, this really good rice crispy treat from them with fruity pebbles. You can't go wrong. And so, yes, the best thing I ate this week was a gas station croissant fire fire and now my mom owns some boards so that's fun too i think it's so funny when people stand like gas stations because it's very reminiscent of i think uh south carolina's uh, i right i think it's from south carolina sphinx miles um but they're they're fried chicken and their biscuits i was such a skeptic when, you know, my partner who's from this area is like, oh, yeah, like, let's get Spink's chicken. I'm like, from the gas station? And he's like, no, no, like, you need to try it. Yo, off the chain. Absolutely off the chain. And it's very similar to, like, folks who stand Wawa. I know when Wawa came to Gainesville, everybody lost their minds. 
And it was like a huge thing. But I just, I think standing gas stations is just such a funny, it's such a funny thing for me, especially around the food. Cause it's like, really? And then you're like, wow, you're like shocked. The other thing is that Bucky's is really well known for their restrooms and they are so clean. They like, I think they have signs in some of them say like world, like world famous restrooms. So if you're driving down the highway and you see one, get a selfie with that little Bucky Beaver, get some fudge, get some homewares. Cause you also can play that. Did I buy my future nephew little Bucky swim shorts? Yes. Okay, we've been on this topic for too long. Thank you all so much for sharing. Stop at a Bucky's if you have one. So we're really thrilled today to talk about this topic because I guess he and I have mentioned multiple times that we, the, the way that I say it is, I want to die a doctor, not by marriage, by myself, but I'm not going to be a medical doctor. I'm, I'm going to be, you know, some sort of PhD, EDD. So we thought, let's spend some time actually digging into this. So we have three levels that we're coming at this from, um, and we've given them names. So Agassi is the undecider, unsure about whether or not he wants to get a PhD or an EDD in higher ed. Maybe there's other topics. Fluid. He's living. He's vibing. I am the more decided. So I know that I want one in higher education or leadership. That is about as far as I've gone. And um, Miles is the decided because he is actually inappropriate. So at this point, like, I think we're pretty much committed to it. And I think I'll just sort of launch us into our first, you know, question. And, you know, either of you can pick it up. Why do you want to be a doctor? Well, um, you know, I think there's, there's a variety. I think when I started the process, I probably had different, um, I think what I understood about why I would do this and what I would get out of it, um, was different than how I understand it now. So I think the thing that was like very clear to me at the time that I still believe to be true um, is that it does change your professional ceiling. And now we can have a discussion about whether it should be that way. We can have a discussion about whether that is like a form of credentialism that is like a problem for the academy at large. We can, we can definitely have that discussion and maybe we'll talk about that in here uh, at, our, at our next point. But it does change your professional ceiling. And that's not to say that everybody, and I very deeply believe that people should not be pressured into believing that doing a student-facing job in our work is um, inadequate, insignificant, and that you need to get promoted in order to do meaningful work. I very, very deeply do not believe that. I think we have a real problem with that concept and the stigma around that. That being said, I think each and every step that you go through, you have to make a decision and you have to make a decision about like, is this the right spot for me? Is this the right space for me to be in? And at some point, if you decide and, and you keep looking up and keep aspiring for the next step, there is going to be a point where when you do that aspiration and you look up and you believe, you know, it's really hard to know what, like right now from where I'm at, it's very hard to know what the day-to-day -day of a vice president at any institution looks like, let alone, you know, a place like Clemson where, you know, our, our, and our vice president has... I don't know, something like 200 employees. You know, it's very, very hard for me to conceive of that. I don't know 
that I that that is something that I would want to do. But my boss's job is something that I've seen. I have really good secondhand knowledge and experience with. And that's a job that I that I think that's the type of job that I think I would want at some point. Um, and increasingly to get to that level, then you would need to have a doctorate. And so I think it's a really sort of thoughtful calibration that has to be, you know, born out of experience. But to me, that was really um, a huge factor in the process is that it does change your professional ceiling. I think I would retweet most of what you said. I think for me, yeah, the there's some level of, okay, if you want to get to a certain point, there needs to be some sort of terminal degree. But I think the other part is one being first gen, like, I don't, I feel like there's always a push to, to do as much as I can. Um, and I've tried to challenge that, right. That is that something that I really want to do? Or is that something that I feel have sort of, sort of been self-imposed? I think it's something I really want to do. Uh, but the other thing for me is I loved grad school. I, I did not love many of the late night hours crying um, or, you know, the pay, but I really loved learning and I miss that. And I want to become a better scholar. I think one thing that I maybe didn't take as seriously or, you know, didn't do as much as I really enjoy sitting down with a textbook and reading a really good chapter. And, and that moment where you read something, you're like, oh my gosh, of course that makes sense. You know, it's the feeling I got when I first learned about Baxter McGoldis' theory of self-authorship. And I was like, this you know, you get that, that exciting academic nerd moment. And I want to learn how to do that better. And then I want that to be part of my professional practice. I don't think that I will ever be faculty because I'm not a good teacher. And I don't know that I want to do research full time, but I, I enjoy the process of learning so much that I think that is a big driver. And as I mentioned before, I want to die a doctor. Because isn't that so Dr. Aguiar? Like, I mean, on a plane, don't say, you know, we have, do we have any doctors on board? Because like, I'll probably say yes. And then be like, challenge and support in this moment. Um, but yeah, those are, I think my reasons, I guess, what are you thinking? I'm thinking, don't get on a plane ride with Erica. If you're planning on having any kind of like cardiac, cardial arrest, cardiac arrest, any don't just, just don't just go with someone else. Uh, you know, really what I'm thinking about, you know, as the undecider, I think, I've done a lot of thinking throughout this last year in the pandemic. And, you know, I've been in student affairs now full time for three years. And something I've really started coming to the conclusion to is that my work can look different and doesn't have to necessarily be in the context of a college or a university. And that doesn't mean to say that I am not still interested in higher ed, that I don't still believe in the purpose of higher ed, because I very much still do. And also I'm thinking, you know, like, I could work alongside higher ed in a different context. And I think that's where some of my undecided nature comes. I mean, I've been undecided for a while. I've always said, I do eventually want to go for a PhD. You know, and part, part of that is that I'm in a second master's program that's in a different field. It's in communication. And having the context of like the higher ed from like my first master's degree and working at Clemson University and now doing the second master's has really, I think, broadened my perspective as to like what my interests look like. And bringing those two interests together has been just so phenomenally awesome because I've been able to like talk about student affairs through the lens of communication. And that's not something that I ultimately knew. My background is in public relations. So I, I have a communication background, but you know, it's been a while. Well, okay, not, well, not that long, but it, you know, it's been a minute since undergrad. 
So I think taking some time to really think about, you know, it's, yeah, Erica's holding up six fingers. Thank you, Erica. It's been six years. Thank you so much for helping me be specific in this moment. Um, I appreciate you, friend. <laughs> Erica's just laughing right now on mute. But really, again, for me, and I, I very much echo what Erica says about the learning. I've always considered myself a lifelong learner and something that I've appreciated is sitting down with people and talking about ideas. And, you know, the kind of conversations you have in grad school are sometimes very such you are like unique. You know, you don't always get the chance to like sit down in a crowd in a, in a room of people. Well, we've been on Zoom for this entire so sit down in a Zoom room full of people and like really dissect some like ideas. And like that has just been so awesome. And I forgot what that felt like because, you know, I've been out of grad school for almost three years now. Um, but again, I think going back to the idea of like me being undecided is like, you know, do I want a PhD? Do I want an EDD? Is it even going to be in higher ed? realistically, because again, I, I feel like my interests are starting to broaden. I'm seeing more of the world. Um, and I'm just excited for what that holds. Um, not to say that I don't want the PhD or the EDD, because very much like Erica, I've very much <laughs> dreamt of the Dr. Rodriguez. Um, and I've very much told my partner, if I get the, the degree before we get married, <laughs> then it is going to stay Dr. Rodriguez. Um, we're not going to do that hyphenation. Um, potentially it's up for discussion, at least, you know, officially. Um, but yeah, that's really where my head is at in terms of like the degree and kind of echoing what Erica said, you know, something I've really enjoyed in this program is that it is much more research focused than I think our program for higher ed was. So like, I've really dug my hands into like what a quantitative study looks like from start to finish. Right now I'm doing a qualitative study. And like, I, as I was talking about just a second ago, has been so much fun. Like I have enjoyed talking to my participants and like dissecting through the, the transcripts and like pulling apart meaning and that the process of research is something that I've learned I do enjoy. And maybe that's not going to be in higher ed. Maybe it'll be in communication, but you know, who's to say? Yeah, I think, actually, I think that that is a great point and really connects. I think the, the learning part is interesting to me because I think that there is, um, there are skills that you pick up as a part of doing this process that I think actually do two things. I think they better prepare you for like theoretically doing this degree should make you better at your job. And I think specifically about, and I, I can say something sort of tangibly, tangibly about my process as I'm writing my dissertation now and, and have finished my coursework um, is that particularly from a research standpoint, um, you know, I am much better. I'm the, I'm the chair for our department's assessment area, and I am much better, more equipped to do that now than I was before this process. And as that connects to, so that like learning has been really um, beneficial and I think has set me up in order to be able to, um, really because of that skill that I was lacking, to be able to support our students and to support our profession in a different way. But the other part about that, Agassi, that you mentioned that I, I, I just think is, is is very real is that some of those skills and I think about research in particular that I've developed as a as, through this process are really transferable in a way that um, in a, in a in a way that um, I didn't anticipate. You know, I, I really know how to get my arms around big data now in a way that I absolutely did not know how to do before. And so the learning has like has had purpose. It has been that sort of, I, I really, when I started the process, really wanted to just kind of be 
like in, in undergrad, I felt like there were times where I was just so excited about learning. Like I just felt like kind of lit on fire by the learning process. And I really wanted that at the beginning of this process. And I think it, I, there have been some moments there, there really have been. And, and given the context of, you know, how I've gone through this and, you know, two small kids doing this part-time, working full-time, commuting um, a lot, there hasn't been a lot of time for that. You know, I have not been in sort of fertile ground for, you know, special learning moments, but there still has been that. And that's been, um, and that has been, that has been really cool and, and meaningful for me. Yeah, Miles, I totally agree. I think on the, on the data perspective, you know, as I mentioned before, Eric and I's, uh, first graduate program was not as research heavy or research based. We didn't do research. You know, we use research and talked about research, but we definitely didn't do it. And, you know, talking about those transferable skills, I've just learned the, you know, and I'm going to share this little quick little thing. I remember one day Miles and I were just talking about our classes and how excited we were about our classes. And Miles was just like, oh, the excitement, you know, isn't it exciting to be learning about, isn't it exciting to be isn't it awesome to be excited about learning? That's what I was, oh, wow, what a tongue twister. And like, that's exactly it. Like I, you know, this entire year in this program, I've just been like, I have not shut up about the things that I've been learning in class. Like I've talked about them on the podcast. I've talked about it with my parents. I've talked about it with my partner so much. Um, and just the process of learning and, you know, you know, in thinking about a PhD, I think about how much cooler it'd be to like produce something because right now my master's program, I'm going for a project thesis. So there will be a significant writing component, but I'm also producing like a product um, as well with it. <clears throat> but just a simple act of like getting, you know, as you mentioned, getting your hands around data, I have just found so much joy behind a spreadsheet. Like I was talking to a colleague of mine. And I was like, you know, I just don't know like how I'd feel about like data and all that. She goes, Agassi, I feel like you are the happiest behind a spreadsheet. And I'm like, wow, I didn't like think of it that way. Um, but absolutely just the excitement of learning and, you know, continuing that learning because it, it, you know, although I've learned in different capacities, you know, the structured learning of like the classroom is just so like, I mean, it's unique. It is very unique, especially when you're around a group of people who are also interested in learning what you're learning, but like applying it differently. Like it's really cool to see those different forms of application. So we've talked a little bit about why we would do um, or why we would want to be, you know, potential doctor in the future. Let's talk a little bit about why maybe we wouldn't want to be doctors in the future. You know, I think for me, it's not why I wouldn't per se. I think the way that I've sort of framed it in my mind is what, what is stopping me? Um, so number one, I think you don't, you don't need it, right? Like, I think there is some, you know, understanding that some positions, you know, I don't know too many VPSAs who don't have it. Um, for me, I don't even know what I want out of student affairs. I don't know that I want to be a VPSA or Dean of students. Like that is, you know, people ask me like, what's your five-year plan? I'm like, what's my five-day plan? Feels like a much more manageable thing. I just don't know. Um, so I don't think it's a good enough answer for me sometimes to just say, I want to die a doctor. Right? There, I think needs to be some more to that. And for me, I think I feel a little bit, I really love my free time. I, I love going home and not having to think about anything. And the idea of, you know, signing up for five, six, seven, eight, da, 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 sorry, you know, years, like depending on if it's full-time or part-time decision. What is a, a, a sacrifice of free time that is a, you know, professional choice that I have to make and you can't do it all, right? I don't think that you can, well, you probably can, right? Like Miles, you are a, a parent, but to be 
you know, there's like the, the college circle, like good grades, free time. And then like being super involved, it's a triangle, not a circle. You can't always do all of those. So like to be, you know, a really strong PhD person and then, or, you know, EDD, and then to be a good professional and then to be a good partner and to be a good family member. For me, a lot of that stopped me. You know, I thought when I came out of grad school that I would start a PhD within a few years and use my GRE score. Um, that has since expired. And I don't know, there's like a lot of stuff that, that gives me pause. And then there's, I think a little bit of the doubt of who do I think I am? Do I really think I could do this? And I know I can, I'm brilliant, but I think there's a little bit of, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know any research. I don't know my topic and all that stuff that I think makes me pretty, I don't know if trepidatious is a word. Uh, I don't, I have trepidation. Okay. It is a word. Great. Thank you, audience. Yeah, I think those are some of the things that go through my mind about why do I maybe, why am I not maybe ready to take that next step or why am I still on the fence itch? Yeah, I mean, I think it is, you know, so it should make you better at your job. You should acquire skills. You should acquire resources. Um, my my dissertation is very applied. It's about It's about emerging professionals in our field and attrition and support resources and um, a variety of things that I think are very, very tangible for the role that I have right now. And I think I have used those effectively to, to be a better resource and supervisor already. That being said, there's a very real possibility that it could make you worse at your job short term, right? Like that sort of, you know, like I think we all have, I think of it as like, one like mind wandering time right and i'm better at my job when my mind wanders more to my job but right now i'm writing my dissertation and my mind is wandering to that dissertation and to problem solving and so i you know i think that during this time period um i have probably brought like less ideas and solutions to the workspace um that are just sort of sort of cherries on top of things. You know, I think I've still been able to do my job well, but, and I've, and I've been able to meet pressing issues, but I think the productivity, pro, um, productivity just has like not been to the same level. And I think the other part of that, Erica, to, to really hone in on what you're saying, it is another thing, you know, like it absolutely is, um, you know, it, it, it reduces your bandwidth for other things. And it doesn't change the fact that this has been a really positive learning experience. My process of going through this and particularly the dissertation writing process, I have not found to be the kind of like horror stories that you hear from people about, you know, how frustrating this is and how challenging it is. I've actually enjoyed the writing process um, thus far, but it is another thing. It's really hard for me personally. It is very, very challenging to be away from my family. And it's also, and I, and I think this is a really critical part that I will speak for myself. Um, you know, like uh, my partner has had the harder job in this process than I have. And I just think that like, if you do not think about this as, as a team decision and a team sacrifice, um, every time I go to uh, literally every time that I spend almost, almost every time I spend on my doctoral work is time where my partner is carrying double duty with our children. And 
you know, and, and my partner works full time and it has just, it, it has been, it is another thing and you have to factor that in. It does not mean that it is not possible. It does not mean that it is not, but like, you know, it has to be a, like, you have to have very good reasons for wanting to do it that are sustaining and meaningful. Um, otherwise I think that those things can really, um, can kind of fray. Yeah, Miles, I absolutely echo some of the things that you're saying, you know, you know, not, you know, for me in my current master's program, you know, I'll be honest, like I applied to this program and I was like, okay, grad school 2.0, like I did it once, like I'm going to be taking less classes a semester. Yeah, I'm going to be working a full-time job, but you know what? Like I've picked up a lot of good habits from first grad school that are going to help me in second grad school. I was kind of wrong. It is very hard <laughs> to have your full-time job and to then transition it to classes. And then it doesn't stop there because then you have your assignments to do. Um, and I cannot stress or echo enough of what you're talking about, like the team decision thing, because I'm just so thankful for my partner. And that's why I've like just <laughs> celebrated him so much in, in public spaces, because it is a team thing. Even like me in, in my current program, like there are times when like, we can't do things because it's like, hey, like I really need to focus, I, I need to do an assignment or hey, I need to do my readings and like things need to happen in the apartment. And like, he's also really tired and he's also really stressed at work and like things have to get taken care of um, in, our, in our home. But like, you know, two out of the five work days, I'm in classes at night. So it's just, it's just, it is hard to balance. Like, it's, which has made me think like, am I able to do this again? Like, could I like do this again? You know, knowing, um, you know, that I probably remain a full-time professional while doing a program just because I'm very doubtful that I would go back to a program full-time. At least that's in my head, that's where I'm at. You know, I've very much credited Miles with the conversation that we had uh, my first year at Clemson, where I, my first year, I was like, yeah, you know, like I'm probably going to go book back full-time. Like, yeah, just get it over with, do it all. And Miles made a really great point of, you know, hey, if you work while you do the program, then by the time you finish the program, not only do you have your degree, but then you have your X amount of years of experience from when you were working in the role. And that really changed the way that I thought about like me being in a PhD program or like in a, in a, in a, a you know, doctoral program generally. But again, the now being a full-time professional and having to do graduate level classes, mind you, of course, not a PhD program has really made me think, could I do this again? Because I am tired all the time. <laughs> like it is not, it is... I very much underestimated what it would feel like to have like a full-time job. Like, okay, now I have to go to class for three hours. Okay. Now I have an assignment to do. Okay. Now I have these readings to do. And that's not even factoring like life things. You know, I, I don't have kids, thankfully, um, at, at this point in my life. So like, those aren't things I have to worry about, but like, you know, I have my partner, I have like family in the area um, for my partner. And like, it does get hard when you're like, Hey, do you want to do this thing on the weekend? Oh, actually, no, I can't. Like, I really need to focus on like these assignments, which actually happened for this weekend where Carter's parents are going out of town and invited us. And I said, you can go if you want, but I can't because I have like a lot of papers due um, for the end of the semester. I also really just want to touch on the reality of finances. You know, we're all talking about like PhDs and EDDs. And I know that uh, some institutions are really gracious about their tuition remission programs or tuition reimbursement or just some kind of like tuition assistance program, but not all institutions are. Um, and of course, if you're not in, working directly at an institution, then you would also need to figure out, you know, does my company offer an opportunity for tuition reimbursement? How do they see, you know, if I need to flex around my schedule for classes, because, you know, maybe the program I did is not like an evening program and the class is in the middle of the day, um, which I've been thankful for at Clemson because my office, as you know, Miles has 
Miles being an example, many people in my office are in current graduate programs. So the the general culture of like, you know, it's okay to flex around your time because you have class has been very beneficial, you know, in this instance. Um, but, you know, the reality of finance is that's something to really think about because, you know, some of us have some level of debt from either undergrad or, or you know, first time going around to graduate school and taking on more debt potentially or having to figure out how to like navigate those finances is a challenge and it's not the easiest thing in the world. So like to Miles's point of you need to be sure why you're doing this and why you want this is true, especially if you are paying for this in some way, shape or form, because it is, you know, especially when you're in the thick of it and you're like, I hate everything. And trust me, there have been multiple times over the year where I love my program, but like, I'm like, why am I doing this? Why did I go back? Why? I was clear. I was in the clear. I had my degree. Why did I go back? And then, you know, I have a wonderful discussion in class. I'm like, wow, I love this so much. This is awesome. Like, I can't believe I ever said I hated this. And it's just like a cycle. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's just, it's the grad school bop. So, you know, there we go. The grad school bop. Um, I'm going to, we're going to write that song. Um, I just wanted to add super quickly. Um, so, you know, I, I sort of mentioned the like family and partner stuff, but I, you know, as you were talking, I guess you realized that I have been on the other side, right? So my partner just defended his dissertation, not in higher ed, in materials, engineering, things I have no clue about, but it, you know, we started dating in, in dissertation mode for the last, you know, almost a year. And it really does change things, you know, not a year yet, Agassi, eight months, but like academic year. He, he's about to, he's like, you're not celebrating yet. But, you know, many of our weekend dates were, hey, dinner, and then you got to go or, you know, like 8 p.m. to, you know, expert, like it was timed. Or, you know, I remember one day vividly being like, hey, this is like a work day. You can sit on my couch and you know, read. And as someone who is on a program, I'm like, yeah, I love leisure reading, but my whole Saturday is either a choice of spending quality time with you sitting while you quietly work or not spending time with you. And that's, you know, a very real thing. And I will say he's in, he was in a full-time program. So during the week, he still did work. So I can only imagine if you're not in a full-time program and your weekend is really the only time you can work that what are you doing? You know, so much is sacrificed. Um, so I think Thinking about that on the other end is, I guess you just brought up some good points that are making me really think about like, you know, how, how much can you dedicate to this, which I think is a great segue to, uh, you know, talking about what, what are we actually considering, right? So we know the, we, all, we almost made like a virtual pros and cons list. We should have done the drawing thing on Zoom and like written all this down, but what are we considering? What, what are the you know, I guess factors, I think we've talked a little bit about it, but what is, uh, what's next for us, friends? So, I mean, obviously I'm in my program, um, you know, starting to write now. Um, I think um, a, a thing to really consider is program selection. I actually talked about finances earlier and, and that's a huge part of it. Um, and there can be, you know, depending on how your search happens and how you, you know, strategize and plan for this, you, you can do this very affordably. Um, and, and some institutions are, as Agassi mentioned, more generous than others. But the other part about that that factors into that, that generosity is finding a place where your goals line up with what the program will offer. You know, if a program is really 
like I, I worked at George Washington University before and, and sort of the, the knock when I was there was that um, the, the college just didn't support the program particularly well. There, there was limited, limited faculty support. And, and, um, and so it, it felt like you could just kind of float through a program. And I've heard of that, you know, you can't get, you know, it's not an uncommon thing for a program like this for, yeah, they offer the program, but you can't really get the classes that you need. And if you can't get the classes, then you get stuck and it's all this like sunk cost that's built into it. And maybe you stay someplace longer than you should because you're stuck in this. So I think like how the program prioritizes it, how it lines up with your goals, if you have practitioner goals versus whether you have faculty aspirations and what that program is preparing people for. These are, you know, those are really, those are really big questions to settle on and think through. I will say, you know, the, the family part of things has been, has been uh, complicated um, uh, for, for my family. Um, and, and has been a really big sacrifice. But from a program standpoint, I've been very fortunate. You know, Erica, you were mentioning the number number of years earlier. Um, Clemson's PhD program that I'm doing is is a very good program, has great faculty, um, pretty well known, um, proud of the education that I'm getting. Um, but I've been able to do it part-time and we'll, and we'll finish up in, you know, a little over three years. So it has not been some, you know, existential extended journey for me. Um, and I've been very fortunate in that regard. I didn't, you know, that that is more a product of being in a good in a good situation and having really good support within the program. Um, but I think that's a huge thing to think about as folks are considering next steps: is how how does the program fit? Um, does it work at the institution that you're at? Does your institution offer it? Do you need to go someplace else? And if you're going to go someplace else, how do you you know how do you pay for that? And then how do you make sure that if you're paying for it, that it's going to align with the timeline that you need, with the process that you need, with the kind of support that you need. Um, so I will say, you know, from a next step standpoint, as people are considering this, I think that that is a, a huge thing to weigh and to talk through. And if you can talk, talk to folks who have been in, in that specific program based on, you know, as similar experiences as you can line up, I think that that's really invaluable and maybe a question to ask of the program as you're going through it. Yeah, Miles, I absolutely echo some of the points that you were making, especially about like aligning your goals to the goals of the program. You know, one thing to really think about as you are thinking about your future is is just that, like, what do you, where do you think you'll be kind of in the future? And I know Erica mentioned about the five-year plan. I also do not have a five-year plan. I have very similar to Erica, five-day plan, maybe, maybe a 24-hour plan, uh, I'll be honest. But, you know, the reality is, you know, there's a lot of us that, you know, and this speaks to kind of Miles's uh, research topic a little bit, but there are some of us who are considering, you know, is working at an institution the future for us? Is being, you know, on this like Dean of Students, VPSA, director track, the track that we're looking for in our lives? Because, uh, you know, you ask folks who are entering uh, grad, you know, graduate programs, what they want to do. And, you know, nine out of 10 folks are going to say, I want to be a VPSA one day. And then after the two ish years in the program, they're like, you know, maybe like, it'll be nice to like, you know, have a job in the future, you know? So it's, it really varies as to like, you know, you're understanding that you as a person, your interests might change. They might evolve your outlook on your career and your future could potentially look different. And as we talked about with Jillian on our episode about like leaving higher ed, um, not that I'm specifically advocating for leaving higher ed, but more so that it is okay to raise those questions in your life and to think, you know, I did think I want to do this. Do I still want to do this? Like, where do I think my future is going? So as folks are thinking about the professional educational future, it's really about, do I need this degree to move forward in the kind of career that I want? 
You know, uh, we're talking in the context specifically of like higher ed and like, you know, if you want to be maybe like a director of a VPSA, a dean of students, you know, or higher, you know, administrative, you might need a, 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 you know, a doctoral degree. But the reality is if you're working in a different industry, potentially not. And, you know, maybe right now you're not thinking of being in a different industry, but like maybe in the future that might open up, a, you might open up that conversation with yourself. Um, and to Miles's point about like looking at institutions and like, you know, is this a place that I could be at for potentially, you know, three to five, maybe more years? Because, you know, some institutions you don't get tuition reimbursement or tuition remission benefits until working there at least half a year, a lot of the times. Or maybe in some cases, I know with Clemson, it's, you have to work there for a full year to like earn those benefits. So like, it's not just, can I work there while I'm getting this PhD? It's, I have to work there. And then I start the PhD or EDD or whatever program it is. Um, so again, I just really want to echo some of the sentiments that like Jillian shared that it is okay to think, you know, is this what I want? Is this what I'm looking for? Do I still want to do X, Y, Z thing? Because the skills that you learn as a student affairs professional or in higher ed are so applicable in so many ways. And that is kind of on the journey of discovery that I'm on. It's that, you know, yes, research is great. And I, I love kind of like doing that process, but how does that apply outwardly? What does that tell me about how I'm able to like use data and how I'm able to like put information together? Um, so those are just my final thoughts as I'm like wrapping up, you know, as we wrap up our conversation. Well, we're not wrapping up yet because I have some thoughts too. And I think, no, I can say, no, you weren't saying that, but you know, for me, I think it's actually pretty tangible, right? Cause I, I am actually doing this, you know, it's, I, I know that I want it. There's some things stopping me right now, but for me, um, no real difference in EDD or PhD. Um, cause I haven't done enough research. So if a program sticks out and it's EDD, cool, PhD, great. I know there's some stigma around it. I don't believe in that. I'm going to get what makes the most sense. Um, for me, I think the next big decisions are full-time or part-time, um, you know, in the next, you know, however long, um, thinking about elevation of roles. So where am I going next? Or is it here? You know, what, where, wherever I end up at another institution or UF, does it provide that? Can I do it? Like Miles said in three years. And like, I feel like it's a good program and it's a good fit. And I like the faculty. Cool. If my next role doesn't provide that, does that mean that I need to go elsewhere? Um, I feel pretty confident that I'm not going full-time, but always willing to be open. Um, and I think Agassi and I have talked about having a friendship retreat and talking about our futures. And I think that's going to be really big for me because again, I don't think you need to have everything figured out, but I do need to have a little bit figured out. And I think my next big thing will really be, okay, what, what are my next two roles? But, you know, I don't need to know everything, but what are the next like one or two things I really want to do? Is that more leadership? Is that more higher ed? Is that more X, Y, or Z? Um, and then doing some actual research, because I think I like to exist in the ambiguity and the, in the clouds. I need to really figure out what programs are doing um, and, you know, in what locations and what they're offering. Um, and I think the final thing for me is I really want a cohort. Um, I'm fine doing some sort of virtual. Um, UF has a really cool program, and I'm sure lots of institutions do, where once a month you have to go in person. But obviously that's not happening right now, but the rest is online. I valued so much in grad school, having people that I can now call across the country. And I would need that in um, potential doctorate programs. So I think those are like my next steps. Um, I have now said them, which means I now need to put them into practice and I now need to do something. With it. So hold me accountable y'all. Um, but I think that's sort of the, the wrap of our conversation. Um, you know, this is, I think a different kind of episode. We didn't really have a lot scripted. We just wanted to come in and talk about our thoughts and hopefully this is 
you know, listeners making you think a little more about what your next steps are. We are here. If you want to talk about this, um, you know, please don't ask me too much because I don't know a lot, but I'm going to offer miles a bit, but you know, if you need a, a processing space, we can do that. Uh, but this was, I think a really, really cool, you know, I, well, what did we say in Agassiz? What did we say in grad school Agassiz words, you know, throw it in the middle, uncooked spaghetti and then. Or uncooked thoughts. Uncooked thoughts. There's uncooked spaghetti where you just throw it in. It's not really fully formed. And then we cook it together. And that's what we did today. So thank you for joining us. Uncooked spaghetti. I'm out. (laughs) Thanks to everybody for joining us on another wonderful episode of the first five years presented by Saxa. If you want to learn more about SACSA, the Southern Association for College Student Affairs, you can find them on all the things, facebook.com backslash SACSA fan page, Twitter at SACSA tweets, Instagram at SACSA grams. You can find me at Erica M underscore Aguiar on the Twitter. Agassi, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter as well at Agassi underscore R. That's A-G-A-S-S-Y underscore R. And what about you, Miles? Where can folks find you? Uh, well, as Agassiz likes to discuss, I have a very active Twitter page um, at Miles underscore Surrett. So you can uh, you can um, see about some jobs that were posted several years ago in our department if you're interested in getting there or about past episodes related to this podcast. And so um, there's some stuff on there. I um, yeah. So uh, check that out. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn, um, which I had my first post on this week. So um, really, I saw that. Yeah, about Agassi, a job posting. So, you know, here we are. And thank you. I think I'm the only person who can say this, but thank you, Miles, for being the most most fantastic, best 20 out of 20 producer and Agassi for being our editor and our, uh, our uh, intro music connoisseur. My favorite thing in the world. Thanks so much, y'all. Until next time. Hasta luego.